0: So can you just start by saying your name and what your position is?
1: Um, so I'm Tracy Musto and I am the University Biological Safety Officer.
0: Thanks very much and we'll get on to what that means in a minute. But first of all, without telling me your whole life story, could you just talk me through how you first got interested in, in science in general and <laughs> what the main steps in your career were to get yourself to where you are now?
1: Um, I don't know, I think I've always been interested in science, pulling things apart, finding out how they work, various things like that, wildlife, nature, such so just science in general. So I did all the sciences at O-level, in the days when they were O-levels uh, and A-levels, and then went on to do biochemistry at Sheffield University. And then, when I left Sheffield, I got a job as a research technician at Birmingham University. Stayed there for a few years, then went into industry to work at um, a private company that was on Keele University's campus, um, and stayed there for about seven years, and then came down to Oxford as the Assistant Biological Safety Officer. So what was it
0: that appealed to you about about that job and how different was it going to be from what you were doing before?
1: Um, well, I think I was, I was never going to be, you know, a lead researcher, nothing like that. Um, I wasn't driven in that way and so I was just looking at ways to use the science degree and the knowledge and the research, so still keeping in contact with research but moving away from research. Um, And I'd always been involved in the safety aspect, both at Birmingham and in the private company. Um, So it was sort of that natural step to just move away from science completely into health and safety.
0: Mm, mm. And so what, talking specifically about biological safety, what does that encompass in in terms of an institution like a university?
1: Oh gosh, the institution that is this university, <laughs> it's massive, it's all-encompassing. Um, so because it covers um, wild-type organisms, it covers genetic modification of organisms, it, we've got specified animal pathogens, we've got um, things that are of interest to terrorism, uh, so any, the list goes on and on, disposal of it. <laughs> so
0: is this, are you only dealing with organisms that researchers have chosen to deal with? Or are you also dealing with organisms that happen to come onto the estate some way or another? No, I, <laughs> no. I,
1: I deal purely with the research side of things. Right. So things like Legionella, for example, that we yeah. find in the water systems, that's not covered by my remit. That's that's somebody else's remit. Right. Um, so right. Uh, yeah. And um, what does a normal day look
0: like? I mean, not let's not before we get COVID. Before COVID, yes, before COVID.
1: (laughs) Um, Normal day is generally um, I review a lot of risk assessments. Um, I answer a lot of emails about people asking questions, querying what they need to do, um, providing advice, guidance. Like to get out into the departments to go and meet. Um, researchers to talk through the work, meet with the because we have a system where we have local BSOs, biological safety officers, in departments. So I have a lot of dealings with them, providing the support that they need um, to make sure that in the local areas that everyone's complying with the rules, that, the regulations. So it's. It's a very mixed bag of what I do from a day-to-day basis. Mm.
0: And you, you, you never have to actually go into a lab yourself and look I, d- at I don't do research no. anymore, whole no. science, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> or even I, any I, kind of testing? No, I did no. miss
1: it occasionally. Uh, and I did, when I first left, it was very much I missed the, the science and going in there and getting my hands dirty, but yeah. Nowadays, I think I'd not be quite so useful in a lab. Uh, things have changed in 20 years. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now, again, still, before we get to COVID, but it'll become relevant as well, to what extent does the university make its own rules and to what extent is it having to follow guidance from national health and safety bodies?
1: Um, Well, we follow all the various legislation that is out there. Um, There are lots of supporting documents to go with the legislation, so there are lots of codes of practice that we can follow for for various aspects of health and safety, not just the biological. Um, So we don't make any of it up. (laughs) Um, We we do follow the guidance that's out there. We follow um, a lot of what other institutions do, so I have lots of contacts with various other university biological safety officers so we can talk between each other and say how do you do these things and 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 compare and contrast because we we do all do things slightly differently but it's all within the boundaries of
0: complying Mm -hmm. can you give me example of a a particularly challenging Case that came up before again before COVID. We're going to get to COVID in a minute, but before.
1: challenging
0: case.
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, the most challenging things we've had are complying with the security requirements that were for certain pathogens that we hold. There are very specific security requirements, um, and that can be difficult to retrofit into a department. So. When they're being built, that's okay, but some of our buildings are 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years old, um, and that's when it gets tricky to, to retrofit in. Um, but yeah, I don't think we've had anything particularly <laughs> more challenging than that. <laughs> sorry, so let's, <laughs> let's,
0: let's finally get to COVID. Um, can you remember how you first became aware of it and, and then how long it was before you realised this was actually going to have a, a major impact on your work.
1: I can remember because it was my first day in this role as the full university. Because I, my predecessor retired, um, and I acted up um, into the role at the start of twenty twenty. Ah, so right. he he um, he got that perfect, didn't he? Really. <laughs> um, so retirement just beforehand. So it was the first day in and I had an email from the Jenner with a risk assessment for their new vaccine against this virus that is circulating in China. And I don't watch the news, and so then I had to go, hmm, let me have a look (laughs) on the BBC website at what virus is circulating in China. Um, So that was it, yeah, so it was the first day back in January when the Jenner started their vaccine production um, and looking into that. So that was when that happened. And then, you know, for the first few weeks, you know, you're keeping an eye on it going, yeah, you know, it's a bit just like a cold, this, isn't it? And then, <laughs> then when more information started coming out, you were like, oh my God, there's no shutting that stable door. This is, this is gone <laughs> and this is worldwide and this is not going to be stopped. Um, So yeah, by February it was just mental (laughs) and yeah, you knew what was coming (laughs) Uh, and it was only a matter of time before it all kicked off, Um, which is quite interesting because of course we've gone through the pandemics of flu, um, which didn't turn out to be the pandemic that everyone was worrying about. So I think perhaps there was a little complacency going on in certain parts. Of society, where they just said, "Oh yes, they said this all before, and it didn't amount yeah. to anything." And uh, yeah, this time it did.
0: So it was a matter of first. It was the Jenner, but it was then very quick across medical science. Yeah, very quickly
1: it went from just the Jenner who were in their usual way, yeah, as they do. They they produce these um, vaccines against lots of different pathogens, all using the same sort of system. It's just and they, sorry. This
0: is I'm just trying to get clear exactly what your where your role is. So you, were you trying to make sure that the researchers themselves were safe? Is that so? That's how
1: it starts. Yes. Yes. So uh, my role is more about looking at making sure what they do keeps them safe and people around them safe and the environment safe. So we, we have various different levels. Um, so it, it was very much more looking at that. So you, you look at what they're producing within the vaccine. And again, like I say, the, the, they've used the backbone of the vaccine for so many other trials. Mm. So there, there was a lot of evidence on that. It was just the change of the, the antigen um, for COVID rather than for all the other ones they've looked at. Um, so it's quite easy to assess their risk assessments, and, and you go forward, and then, of course, there are different stages of their process. Um, I don't um, get involved so much in the, the going to stick it in people <laughs> as the vaccine side of things, but I do get involved in that because I also sit on the trust GM committee. Um, so all our clinical trials go through the oh, University Hospital Trust, um, and I sit on their committee as well. So right. I do see it um, and I get to see what all the clinicians have to say about things as well. So it's quite interesting seeing that sort mm. of things. Mm, mm, mm. So, 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 so yes, so, so it went from the Jenner, and then as we spiralled, there, the, there are other people looking at um, producing vaccines as well, different types of vaccines, using the different methods, different ways of doing them. Um, and then I started to get the queries about the samples from patients and how they're going to handle the samples. Um, And all that time we were trying to work out um, where... So so pathogens go into hazard groups. So we have low-risk ones at hazard group 1 and then we have high-risk ones at hazard group 4. And so Ebola, for example, would be in (laughs) 4. HIV's in 3 influenza generally is in two, um, so yeah, you've got that spectrum. So we had to sit there and go, well, where would you put COVID? Um, unfortunately, because we've had SARS and MERS beforehand, we followed what SARS and MERS was. Um, and the HSE also then started producing the guidance to say um, that it was a hazard group three organism. And that's, that, once that came out, that was where we knew we were going down the right lines. Um, So to handle samples with hazard group 3 organism in them, you need a containment level 3 lab. Um, And we're fortunate, we have quite a few containment level 3 labs, Um, so we were working with the um, medics on how we're going to handle the samples um, until the guidance came out from uh, PHE, as it was at the time, (laughs) It's been renamed to
0: Public Health England. then. yes, yes. sorry,
1: Public Health England. Yes. yes, Um, and they produced a set of guidance on how to handle samples as well. So, once that comes out, then you follow the guidance there, mm. and mm. it's quite helpful.
0: So I've interviewed both William James and Becky Moore. Oh, yes, but they both specifically mentioned how very helpful you've been. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what, 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 what <laughs> so they, they are one of the people who've got a containment level three, lab. yes. So, what needed sorting out in order to use it for Covid?
1: So William, bless him I like William um, he was the first of the researchers to come forward and say we want to work with the actual virus Um, so we'd sort of there there was lots of steps so we started off with getting permissions from the HSE because we have to contact the health and safety executive um, and do notifications to handle um, pathogens of um, containment Level 3 and has Group 3 and above. Um, so we had to already notify the samples um, from the COVID patients. And so we originally started off with that at um, CCVTM, um, so which is Centre for Clinical Vaccinology, vaccinology and, tropical and Tropical Medicine. And tropical medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I get there in the end when I start <laughs> adding them up. Um, so we originally got, they got a CL3. So we originally started with them being able to handle the samples from patients. Then once we got that permission, we worked on getting the permissions for uh, the other locations that we then did. And then we'd literally just done that when William went, right, I want to work with the virus. Um, so because the that, samples, although they might be infected,
0: you explained this to me, they might not necessarily have whole virus in, they might just have bits of virus yeah, in.
1: Yeah, so, so at the time, and again, there's hindsight and there's what was going on at the time. At the time, we didn't know that. Um, so what we, we were having to say was, well, until we know for sure, we have to say that it's a CL3, that's it. Um, and as it turned I mean, William did do some work to look at blood samples and to show that they weren't infectious, um, but I think it was 10 samples that they used, and statistics, yeah, and all those sorts of things, whether 10 statistically viable or not. I think nowadays there's a lot more evidence that says that blood isn't Particularly highly infectious. Um, obviously, respiratory tract stuff is much more highly infectious. So um, we've got different samples that require very different handling. But yeah, William wanted to work with the virus, which is again a different notification. Um, and also um, for William, most of the work in his CL three has been bloodborne pathogens. So it's the HIVs. Um, and HEPBs and things like that. So it was very much a well, you're going from a blood borne pathogen to a pathogen that's aerosol borne. And they are very different. Um, so while you say they're both CL3, um, the route of exposure is very different. And so we had to go through all their paperwork, um, rewrite their code of practice, um, work on their, um, how they handle the samples exactly Um, and so we we were very fortunate the health and safety executive was prepared to run a short online training course for people so we managed to get i think it was about 15 people trained um, just in all the way you would handle these samples Um, so that was quite useful and we also we were very lucky in that we have a TB group which is an aerosolised pathogen be it bacteria rather than virus Um, and they were very kind and started doing some hands-on training on how they handled their TB and so we were trained people to work as if they were working with TB so I think that was really useful and so yeah um, after a lot of hard work from William and Becky and rewriting documents and going through them all and checking the facility was okay um, we finally submitted and got permission to work on it at the pathology um, and sounds quite short when you think of it that but it wasn't <laughs> it was an awful lot of paperwork mm, mm. Um, that really needed to be written and I mean uh, HSE must have been very stretched did they take on a lot of more what more people? Uh, not as far as I'm aware, mm. but yes, they were very stretched. Um, but again, um, I suppose if you think about everyone being pretty much in lockdown, maybe they weren't being having as much um, coming their way from other areas, so they could focus, and they were very helpful. I contacted them quite a lot um, just to check things and ask questions about where we're going um and they approved our notifications much quicker than the standard time frame that they have because again they know they're working to a pandemic situation and that allowing the research to get going as soon as possible helps everyone in the long run Um, so yeah so that was william and then literally as we got williams done All the other CL3s wanted to work with it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then we had to do the same process. But fortunately, what we did do is we took documents from William and Becky um, and we basically used them as a set model. And we took them to the other facilities and just tweaked the documents so that they it meant that there was a consistency across all our CL3s um, and it meant that there was less paperwork for people to write um, so we got the approvals for the other places um, quite a lot quicker um, and again they were all sort of trained following Becky and William in the CL3 there So and then they went back to their facilities and trained up people in their facilities um, so it was it was quite a a big effort by everyone involved mm, mm,
0: mm. Yeah. so what uh, other were there other labs that weren't actually working on live virus but still needed your advice
1: yeah so we had um so we had lots of people who were working at um detection, how they detect the virus um so we were having to talk to them about um using an activated virus um, and how you inactivate virus and all those sorts of things, and you have to validate that it will be inactivated, um, which was quite tricky because some of these were before we'd got permission to work with the virus. Mm -hmm. So you can't can't do the validations (laughs) without the permissions, and so we were having to get validations done elsewhere um, by people who had already got permissions in place um, to be able to check that we were getting, um, using inactivated virus. Um, and some of them were using just bits of virus. So again, you can genetically modify other things so that they were just looking at individual proteins or a couple of proteins. So you've got the structural biology group who would have been looking at under the microscopes, the EM microscopes, seeing which bits which bits joined to each other, um, which is quite fascinating. and they do that. So we had that, and we had the groups that were, Sequencing. Um, so again, you would get samples in and they would be trying to get the RNA and the DNA and then sequencing um, and seeing. And again, we had to make sure that they're inactivated. So it was going all, all through the inactivations whether heat was appropriate or whether some of the chemicals that they use in their process would inactivate um, and validating all of those sorts of things. So it was a yeah it wasn't just wasn't simple <laughs> <laughs> and how long did this
0: extra level of work go on do you, can you remember
1: it went on for well over a year um because yeah well, well you think about oh yeah well we got the, the original permissions for certain things um, but then they would still be coming back saying right well we want to do Another process. Um, can you check the paperwork? Have we thought of everything? And so I, I've been going through more and more documents um, than I can ever remember, um, just to you know to guide them and sort of say, well, yes, have you thought about this? Can you do that? Um, you need to do various things. Um, so it went on and on, uh, and then then we had the challenge trial um which is another one that that really did take an l- awful lot of work with the, talking with the hse
0: tell me about the challenge trial
1: i don't know if i'm allowed to tell you about the challenge oh. trial <laughs> um yes i think well, exactly. the fact that it
0: happened is public knowledge
1: i think presumably. i think the fact that it happened is public knowledge so um so yes um when uh, they approached about deliberately infecting people to see what their immune responses were, Um, and I think Imperial were doing a similar study on vaccinated people and challenging them with the virus. And uh, I just basically sat there and went, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, obviously, deliberately infecting someone is completely the opposite of what we would normally do. Um, And so that was very much a a long discussion with the health and safety executive and then we had to talk to the advisory committee for dangerous pathogens who are a very knowledgeable committee made up of medics and all sorts of high ranking people um, who are much more knowledgeable about these things. About how exactly what what control measures because what what you've got there is you need to protect the staff um, from exposure but but you're deliberately exposing a person and and how you go about doing those two things. But it's not
0: unprecedented, is it? Because there've been challenge trials oh, in yes. malaria, for example. Before. Yes. So yeah. we
1: we we've done malaria challenge trials. We've done salmonella challenge trials and all around the world. They've done lots of different challenge trials. So, no, it's not something unusual, but um, I guess to, to use something that nobody really had, because this was still only six months after lockdown, so there's still a uh, lot, of unknowns there's the lot of unknowns about it. Um, and uh, yeah, and how you would um, have the participant Um, but equally you've got that whole argument of uh, that person over there is walking up and down the streets got it but we've got to handle that person who we've deliberately infected in a different way Um, so there there was quite a lot of to and fro before we got permissions for that one to go ahead Um, so yeah and that really was quite interesting because that was so far out of my knowledge scope Um, like I say because it's counter to what I would normally be telling people um, so yeah, it's uh, it was interesting and difficult mm. but the people doing the trial are lovely So mm. yeah, it's, al- it's always helpful when it feels more like a, you know, a team effort than just somebody saying it will be done mm. <laughs>
0: Yes, that was a question I was going to actually I meant to ask that earlier but it comes in perfectly well here uh, how <laughs> How cooperative that! I mean, do do you find that in general people are, are sympathetic to your brief, and you know you have to do what you have to do, which might feel restrictive to them?
1: I think on a whole, yes, because I think most people um, that we deal with understand we're not there to stop it; we're there to facilitate it. It's just we have to facilitate it in a certain manner. Um, and we have to make sure that we comply with the law. Um, and usually it's more time delays, um, which is always a bit upsetting to a researcher, is when you start saying, well, you know, we need all this paperwork in place, and then we need it approved by your local safety committees and then it needs to go to the HSC and they might have questions and and it goes on and on and on before they can finally get to do it Um, and obviously in situations like this um, I think there there was a push to get things done but I think they were they were also very much aware that there were so many unknowns and that we were all just trying to make sure that yeah, they don't want their staff infected either, so yeah, making sure everything was done in the correct manner. Yeah, I think nearly all of them were on board, so which is really nice and helpful <laughs> because I didn't I didn't need the fight as well as as the pandemic going on. No, um, no. So. You
0: didn't want to be seen like a, a kind of officious no. bureaucrat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yeah, so it is sometimes challenging um, because sometimes they they don't see the reasons why. Um, And and we do especially have an issue with, because we have the hospital sites um, and medics will handle samples in a different manner because they're diagnostics. So you may handle something Um, in a way because you don't know it's infected it's highly likely but the diagnostic tests are to tell you whether it is or it isn't whereas we tend to have things that we know are and therefore they're not diagnostic samples because we're not testing them to give a diagnosis we've got these samples because they are infected and we want to mess around with them and do research.
0: So and you must have people who are both in both. clinical and research positions yes. and they know that they can get something done quickly as a clinician which yes. takes a long time as a researcher. Yes. I see, yes I can see that. So that,
1: that's where the, the <laughs> challenges usually lie um, and yeah occasionally I did get the oh well yeah Liverpool are not doing it that way <laughs> <laughs> uh, and usually they got the response of well, I know their BSO and I know that they are doing it <laughs> <laughs> in this way. So, and you're not telling the truth. Um, so, yeah, mm. just a few of those sorts of challenges, but mostly people were very much on board and supportive. Yes. And
0: I mean, I think I've heard other people give me an answer to this question. Are you aware? of anybody becoming infected as a result of what was going on in a research lab? No. Hmm.
1: Not at all. Um, Not even through being in a lab with someone who later tested positive from an outside source. Um, We've had none that I'm aware of, no transmissions. We've had no incidents or accidents either within the CO3. the level of training, the level of, um, you know, the, the limited people in the labs. Um, so that, that was one of the other issues we had. We had more work that could possibly be done, um, and especially when we had some of the um, social distancing requirements. Um, but um, containment level three labs tend to have very high rates of air turnover. Um, purely because of pathogens um, so they have high air turnover um, and yeah everything's done in containment so we have no none that I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told me. So, And how far does your
0: work overlap with people who were generally putting in safety provisions across the university for people just to prevent them transmitting or catching the virus?
1: Um, So I, I, because the safety office as a whole has been involved in that, so I would be involved in the general conversations. So at the start, uh, when we were talking about mask wearing and gloves and disinfectants and things like that, um, I was having quite a bit of an input just from a general biological point of view. Um, But then that all went through the head of safety through the, the various higher committees, the silver and the bronze, and, and all those sorts of things. So they were, um, yeah, they were helping formulate those sorts of plans. Um, so yeah, it, it it was there, but it was more. My my remit was more the research mm. side of things. Mm. Um, but you,
0: within the safety office, are you the person with the most biological expertise?
1: <laughs> um possibly um yes <laughs> uh yeah, but most of it is common sense as well, from a yeah biological perspective mm, yeah. Mm. so um yeah, just general cleaning um and airflows um, yeah so, but yeah, I think a lot of the safety office had an involvement in that and, and including. Um, the safety officers who are out and about in the departments as well so we have divisional safety officers um, who were very knowledgeable, very helpful, very invaluable in what we did and then the departmental safety officers as well Um, and so it was sort of a community effort Mm. um, of all the safety officers um, coming together to make comments. what needed to be implemented but then equally you know we were following what government said Mm, as well mm. so and
0: that collaboration across the the team would you say that was closer with this than it is normally I mean you must you must have to liaise with those people all the time anyway
1: yeah we do liaise with those people all the time and and have done but um, I think We were also asking for their opinions on things a little bit more because they were the people who were going to have to implement these things in their departments. Um, So even uh, like the facilities managers, um, because they'd be more involved in changing any of the air handling systems. Um, They're the people that got got all the signage sorted out and, um, and the hand sanitizer, they with the people buying in the masks. So um, I think it was quite a big concerted effort mm. Um, mm. across the board, really. And, and when did it finally let up? You said it
0: went on for over a year.
1: I think it has, yeah. I think it has let up. I think 21, I think the problem was there was that whole overlap of we were still dealing with quite a lot of COVID stuff but the non-COVID research was starting back up again. And of course they'd had three months of not being able to do their research. So it was more imperative that they got on with their work. So, and I was dealing with both sides of things then. So it it was very busy, very, very, very busy through all of 2021 20, as well, mm. while we were doing the paperwork for, all the other stuff that had not been done during COVID. Mm, mm. So, yeah, and I mean, do you think all the work you did on
0: COVID has kind of set you up for if this kind of thing ever happens again, or has it changed your approach to other um, biological safety issues? Um,
1: I think. Any other- it has sort of set us up for I have to say monkeypox did make me go, oh god no. <laughs> I think I need I do need to recover first. Um but yeah <laughs> have you I had to do anything
0: about monkeypox. Did people
1: start working on it? Uh, well, we had a number of queries yeah. about it, yeah. yes. Um and uh, yeah so there is that going on. Um but uh where I was going with that. Sorry. Um yeah uh, so I think yes, um, I I do know now sort of because I was new to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a baptism of fire, and and definitely if there was another one, then we have got some level of system now where you go ah right, so we need to do this and we need to do that, <laughs> and, and we could be a slightly more proactive with contacting the researchers and, and trying to get again, that consistent approach across the divisions and, and the departments and spreading that information out. So I think that would, that is a good thing. It has also meant that we've tried to network a lot more people. So trying to get people to talk to one another rather than just be in their quiet little silos. Um, <clears throat> because again, you know, the next one, I mean, it's, might not be a respiratory pathogen, but it would be, it's good to know that we have these experts w- with handling maybe not that pathogen, but a respiratory pathogen or, or a bloodborne pathogen that we can then call upon and say, well, how do we do this? Could you train these people? Um, because that's the key part of it all, is, is training um, and, and supervision and monitoring people and how they work. Mm. Hmm. So yeah, I think certainly next time it might be a little easier. But I don't think the workload would be any easier. No, um, but uh, hopefully it wouldn't be quite as so bad. Um,
0: and, and just turning to the the impact on you personally, i mean, presumably this office was closed. you yes. were, you were working from home. Yes, so all this liaising that you were doing with all the other people involved was happening over teams?
1: Teams, yeah, yeah, yes, teams, um, and it, it did also mean that I, um, I connected with a lot more university biological safety officers, um, uh, on a very regular basis because we were, it was that shared experience and sharing our knowledge and, and doing the whole, what do you do? How are you doing this? Um, so that that was quite good. It was quite so good. Is, to there build.
0: An, is there a national organisation or a university?
1: No. Well, there there, there is a um, uh, there's ISTR who has a list of biological safety officers around the UK. What ISTR? Um, so in uh, Institute oh. Technology and Research Safety and Technology and Research Institute of um <laughs> and that they're great they're really good they're quite um it, it's more practical based and and the, the conversations that you have and they have um uh, they have a an a, a email list um and they do symposiums usually in november um which are really good to go to um but i, I just i've met people at those conferences um, you know, I've got names and, and you, know, you get on with certain people. And so it was very much a, when, when COVID happened, you were contacting those people, going, help, <laughs> <laughs> how's it going? You know, and, and it, it, sometimes it was just moral support. Mm. You know, sometimes mm. we'd just have a team's meeting on a Friday at five o'clock and just download, um, which, you know, was very useful. Mm. Mm. Um, so, because it, well, it was very stressful, hard work. And yeah, I have a child at home who wasn't at school and all the uh, associated aspects of that as well. Um, so, I, Yes, my partner liked to do the comment of, oh, there's that woman who lives in our house that we <laughs> never see. like <laughs> so, Yes, thank you. Um, so the
0: hours were longer than you would normally do? I mean,
1: a lot longer than, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Can you put a figure on it, uh, hours per day, days per week?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, i have been working till 10, 11 o'clock at night. I'd work at weekends, so, you yeah, know, there was many a time on a Saturday night at midnight, I was sending out emails thinking, why am I doing this? Um, but, yeah. It was, and again, there was two of us um, pre-2000, and then they went down to just one. Um, so not good timing for uh, a oh, pandemic you mean you to didn't hit. get an assistant? Uh, I didn't get an assistant until about 12 months ago. Oh, right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so that's why it was such long hours, really. Mm,
0: mm, mm. Well, oh, that was a bit of an omission, wasn't it? <laughs> uh,
1: it's, it's, it was bad timing <laughs> in that respect. Um, but it is possible
0: to recruit in a pandemic.
1: I think it's quite hard to recruit <laughs> to these sorts of positions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially being as everyone else was wanting someone of these positions. Right, um, yes, yes. So, yeah. Um, so it was, again, very much leaning on other people out there in the university. Mm. Um, mm. And hoping that they could help out in their own little ways, mm, which yeah. was useful. And okay? again, mm. it it brought more people into knowing what was the requirements.
0: And did, I mean, it was clearly tough and stressful, but would you say from your point of view, the fact that you were working on something that was important in relation to the pandemic mm. was supportive of, of your own, own well-being versus just being yeah. furloughed and not having anything to do. <laughs>
1: Ooh, that would have been nice. <laughs> that would have been nice. Especially that spring we had. No, um, yeah, I mean, yes, the, the very much that it was that. I think what kept me going and doing those hours was that this was important. Yeah, It was important that the researchers um, got their paperwork sorted and got their approvals as quickly as we could get them. It was important that we made sure that they were trained and that the facilities were all OK. So, yeah, that's what kept me going, <laughs> going in all of that. Um, but, yeah, uh, there were some moments where I, uh, I did want to just go, <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> um, so and were
0: yes. you able to do anything that specifically to support your own well-being in terms of
1: um uh, well i have a dog so yeah. I, that did at least mean that i had to leave the house and go for walks um so that that was uh, quite useful in in that respect and sometimes i did have to do the whole no i'm going with the dog on my own <laughs> i do not want company <laughs> i just want the dog he doesn't talk at me um so yes so but yeah uh, I think that sort of thing. And like I say, networking um, and the support of other people kind of kept me going. Mm,
0: mm. Yeah. So and when did you start coming back into the office again?
1: Um, I think it was, well, we had that short spell before lockdown number two or three, whichever it was. Yes, um, where sort of August we were, time. Think, yeah, yeah. We, were, we were back in the office um, then. Because yeah, and we had to go out and do inspections, and because obviously we have to go out to the facilities as well and check them. Mm. Um, So yeah, I mean that.
0: I suppose that's a question. I mean, normally, would you, if somebody was setting up something new, would you you would inspect it in person? Yeah. And you weren't able to do that during the lockdown.
1: Not really. No. Um, So we were having to rely on you know making sure um, that some of the paperwork was done and that they were sending me documents and um, to confirm that they had done what I'd asked them to do Um, yeah but yeah it is uh, it was a a little bit of um, having faith in the individuals in the facilities um, that were doing it Mm -hmm. Um, but they're all I mean Becky and William lovely great people some of the other people we have out there are all great people, so, yeah. And and at the end of the day, nobody wanted to get themselves infected, so no, self-preservation means that they were going to work to, a, to the standard anyway. Um, and they were all, yeah, CL3 trained anyway. It's just that they were trained for HIV work.
0: Mm, mm. So. so how are things now? Are they... Back to normal? Or are they still busy?
1: It's mm, still busy, but have you? You have got an assistant. I have. <laughs> I have got an assistant. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's coming back down to um, normal levels, um, but we've had a lot of turnover of staff, both out there and in the office as well. Um, so there's a lot of having to um, sort of retrain. Biological safety officers out in the departments um retrain the c l three managers we've had a lot of those leave. I <laughs> don't know what that says um but and and a lot of um facilities managers have left as well, so I think a lot of people took that time to uh reassess their lives uh um, and maybe take some life choices that were appropriate for them, which is always envious
0: Mm. (laughs) Mm. but you're you're still here for the time being i'm
1: still here i'm I'm not old enough to make those life choices yet (laughs) not quite um but yeah um so yeah and uh yeah my former colleague used to regularly send me messages saying i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry i left it was like Thank you. <laughs> Don't blame you. It's fine. It was just bad timing. Um, and yeah, occasionally he got these messages from me going, What would you have done? <laughs> have I done this right? Um, so yeah. Mm,
0: mm. So. Well, that was it was nice that you had a, a yes. kind of. Shoulder to lean on if you needed yes,
1: it sometimes. Yes, Yes, yeah. I, I had quite a few shoulders to lean on, which was very helpful mm. indeed. Mm. Uh,
0: so. so what would you say was the main sort of take-home message? <laughs> I <I'm laughs> hesitate to say lesson, really, <laughs> from the pandemic. Has, it, has mm. it changed your attitude or your approach to your work?
1: I don't think it's changed my attitude or approach to work because... I personally think we did a pretty good job, Um, I think as a whole the government did what they could do, Um, we're we're all limited by the information out there, Um, again I I think in the fullness of time we'll maybe find out more about how it happened, what could have been done, but I, I suspect, certainly, with um, certainly any any illness that has an infectious period before you show symptoms, is always going to be difficult to contain. Um, so you know they were lucky with um, SARS in particular that it wasn't it didn't spread in the same manner that SARS 2 did. Um, uh, so. And I guess we've been lucky with influenza as well. Um, but there will be more pandemics. <laughs> I think we just need to get used to that fact. Mm, mm. Um, and, and knowing
0: that that's the case, um, is there anything you would change about how your specific area is managed? And I can't ask you to sort out the country, I mean, oh. I, since the government can't do that. I don't. <laughs> But in, in, in specifically in, in <coughs> University Biological Safety, is there anything that you would change as, as a result of this experience?
1: Um, no. No, not really. I just, I, yeah, I think it's more the... I, I think people were cooperative with each other, but in normal times, I do think there's a little bit more of a, you yeah, know, this is my territory, this is... This is my lab, Um, and and whether that's changing a bit more now, I I don't know. Um, But you you do time to find that I think there could be a more strategic management, um, particularly of the CL3s um, and the work that goes on in there. But that's for higher management to decide. (laughs) <laughs> Not me, um, but we're working on some of these things. Uh, yeah, I think I think it would be all good. Mm. Well, we've got practice now.